out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy. But you're still the same. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films you will never discuss in the course of a film studies class. This week's film is a documentary about volcanic eruptions called Pacific Rim. No, just kidding. It's about giant robots and giant sea monsters, kaiju, uh, Godzilla things. And uh, it's going to be lots of fun and probably not going to be found in a film studies class, I'm <laughs> fairly sure. So let's go ahead and identify the voices speaking to you this this week we have the full crew, and I'm so excited. We're gonna go around. This is the first time in a while, right? It's been a minute. Hey we're yo, gonna, we're gonna go clockwise to my right. Um, introduce yourself, sir. Oh, my name is Dalton Stewart, and uh, this week I am canceling Caleb sitting in my spot. Alrighty, thank you very much for that. Uh, moving on around the table, sir. Who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and I'm completely unprepared for this show. Excellent, excellent. I love hearing that. Um, uh, back across the table, ma'am. Who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and where's my goddamn shoe? <laughs> Excellent. We'll call it night. We're done. Thank you. Yep. We're done. We're not talking that tonight. Yep. Go home. Uh, all right. And uh, to my left, sir, who are you? Uh, hi, my name is Caleb Masters. And haven't you heard, Arthur? The world is coming to an end. So where would you rather die? Here or on a podcast? Bye. <laughs> my name is Dustin Sells. I know exactly who Caleb Masters is. He is an egotistical prick with daddy issues. And so we are <laughs> moving right along. But as I'm learning through listening to everyone's people history of film interviews, we all have daddy issues. <laughs> uh, yes, 100%. Not inaccurate. Uh, I literally think every person I've ever met has daddy issues. Yes. <laughs> I really don't want to talk about it. Let's move on. Uh <laughs> Yes, indeed, we are talking Pacific Rim, but this is not a review show, folks. It is an analysis show, and that therefore means that we will be required to do some spoilers. We will give you a brief reprieve from Spoiler Town in this way. We will give a synopsis from the voice of the cinema first and foremost. Thereafter, we will follow it with our quick thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews. Uh, after the thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, we get into minor spoiler territory, which is possible with our gameplay, as always, with the movie in question and perhaps other movies um, that we might talk about during that. And then once we get down to business it is spoilers ahoy kaiju off the starboard bow and uh watch out for that put the knife head on the left (laughs) so you have been warned dear listener let's go ahead and begin with that synopsis from the voice of the cinema mr arthur gordon himself go sir as a war between humankind and monstrous sea creatures wages on a former pilot and a trainee are paired up to drive a seemingly obsolete special weapon in a desperate effort to save the world from the apocalypse. Why would you hide its giant robots fighting sea monsters in your synopsis? Why would you do this? Burying the lead. <laughs> they I said mean, monstrous sea creatures. Oh, okay. well, but, but Americans have proven we'll throw, we'll throw hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars at seeing really shitty giant fighting robots. So I think the, uh, why not see if it was real? The synopsis is right next to a poster of the movie with a robot on it. Okay, well, I so guess... So I think two and two, hopefully. Helps, maybe. Okay. Seems dumb. Marketing Whatever. failure, perhaps that explains the box office. Moving on, uh, we are going to give those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We're going to go clockwise around the table to my left, and we'll go first with you, Mr. Caleb Masters. What do you think in terms of your thumbs up, thumbs down review? And remember, brevity is the soul of wit. Yeah, so uh, Pacific Rim is such a fun exercise in genre. And by and when I say genre, I'm talking about kaiju films, and I'm talking about, yes, Dalton, I'm looking at you, I'm talking about anime. I don't know what that means. 
so, <laughs> uh, so this literally, it, it feels like it's torn right out of like an anime or a Japanese film like Godzilla, uh, uh, like Gundam, like e- uh, Evangelion or whatever. Uh, if you're a fan of those things. <laughs> that was funny. That was, that's, that's how I described that show, Caleb. Uh, you, uh, hard word. Uh, words words hey. that are made with English characters that literally don't mean anything. Well, I don't have the Japanese letters in front of me, so I can't tell you the correct, correct pronunciation. Uh, one Tanabe. <laughs> <laughs> I love you so much, Caleb. All right, so uh, if you're a fan of those things, you're in for a great time. If you're not, well, then you might still have a great time uh, because this movie is super goofy, super over the top, and, and it's a cartoon come to life. And I think... I, let's be honest. I think it's what all of us thought we were and hoping we were going to get with the Transformers films. The cast is spot on. The visuals are some of Del Toro's best, and they still hold up exceptionally well. And again, most of all, more importantly than anything else, this film is loads of fun. Yeah, I feel like there's some pacing issues, and it drags sometimes here and there. And the final confrontation, in comparison to the kind of uh, middle end of the second act set piece uh, in the city, it's a little underwhelming in the trench. But overall, I think this is a great experience, and I think you're in for a uh, uh, really great night with some friends. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Miss Alexander Bohannon, what do you think? This was one of those movies that I meant to go and catch at the theaters around the summer of 2013, and I never made it out. Um, and so I unfortunately did not ensure this film's uh, eventual box office flop Um I actually helped make the flop happen. I'm sorry. You're the problem, Alex. I am the problem. Yeah. You, you know, it's not just you. I know. Apparently, I, a lot I, of people didn't I go wish see I could, this movie. I, I think this opened up against, like, Alvin and the Chipmunks Chipwrecked, if I remember. Like, it opened up against something, like, completely atrocious. Oh, it, God. It's okay that we can thank the Chinese once again for, for, for saving Pacific Rim, and so we are getting a sequel, fortunately. Yay. Okay. So, um, starring Finn, correct? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. John, John Boyega, Boyega is, yeah. is going to be playing Idris Elba's uh, kid, and I'm super oh, pumped. I didn't know that part. Yeah. Oh shit! So mm-hmm. he's gonna be canceling the Darth, the Dark Side apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Well, anyway, so this was my first time viewing this movie, and I really enjoyed it. I mean, it's it's fun. It's not something you really have to think too hard about. And yeah, you're right. It's kind of what we all hoped the Transformers films would be. Um, something just with a, a sneeze more substance and have and giant robots and giant monsters are in it. I. I would say I have more problems with the pacing than maybe Caleb did. I think that second after the the middle fight feels like the climax of the movie. And so I was like, wait, there's still like an hour left. Yeah, this movie blows its wad really early. That was dumb. Uh, they, I, yeah, it's it's a strange. I'm I'm right there with you, Alex. I it's a strange choice. That was very strange. Yeah, I don't because that, that middle fight goes on for like 40 minutes. Sure and does. It's way cooler than anything else the rest of the movie has to offer. That is accurate. Yeah. So I I didn't I wasn't really sure as to why that occurred that way, but it did. So um, that's a big quibble with it. But honestly, I mean it's a good piece if you're gonna say hey watch a blockbuster during the summer i would say this is a really exemplary example of what a blockbuster is and one i would want to see in theaters excellent excellent thank you very much for that miss alexander bohannon mr arthur gordon what do you say in terms of your thumbs up thumbs down review i am probably right there with caleb and alex i think uh, as caleb said this is a cartoon came to life uh, it is a lot of fun it's so wacky and colorful i enjoy that about it uh, it re- reminded me quite a bit of power rangers uh, in a lot of ways and that voltron thing going on and so i appreciate that about it uh this this movie has some of the best character names ever put on screen <laughs> uh stacker pentecost uh and uh hannibal Oh, what's his name? Chow. Chow. Hannibal, Hannibal Chow. Chow. 
Uh, as played by Ron Perlman. It's named after his uh, second favorite. Well, what's Hercules' uh, his last name? Uh, the, uh, the Australian. Mulligan? Dad. Is it Mulligan? Thank you. I was hoping you would say that. I, I think, as they said, the uh, the pacing is rough. Uh, I, I can't you know disagree or add any more to that. I think they've covered that. Uh, the other biggest complaint for me is Charlie Hunnam here, who is not a lead actor at all. Um, I wish they'd just let him do his British thing and maybe be something different. Uh, but he's never going to escape... Uh, um, Jack's teller, at least not for a while, and I think that's a big hindrance to him right now. And I think he hinders this film from being something a little more. Uh, but overall, I enjoy it. I got to see it in theaters. It was a lot of fun. Uh, it doesn't hold up as much on the rewatch, but it's still a good time. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what is your thumbs up, thumbs down review? Well, I want to echo something Arthur just said. Um, I was incredibly excited about this movie. Um, it was one of my most anticipated films for several years. Like, I was looking forward to this movie for a very, very long time. Um, and I enjoyed it quite a great deal. I believe it was an honorable mention in my top films of the year when it came out. But rewatching it, uh, it's fine. It's pretty stupid, honestly. Um, it's a fun movie. Um, I, I, I've got to say, uh, Del Toro shows why he is one of the most interesting auteur filmmakers working, because even when he does uh, a, a dumb blockbuster, it still shows a lot of personality. You can still see a lot of his idiosyncrasies and, and the things that fascinate him uh, w- within the film. And that's something I've, I always have appreciated about him, is the way he uh, nimbly uh, jumps back and forth between studio fare and uh, passion projects. And even you know some of his passion projects do become studio-produced uh, films. But the way he jumps back and forth, I think, is really cool. Um, it, it's it's infinitely silly. Um, and overall, I think that's fine. I, I think one of the things that works best here is that the, the stakes are low uh, because they're so high. But within each scene, the stakes feel high because they somehow grant a weight and a physicality to the cartoons that are fighting on screen that I think other similar fare like Transformers fails to do. Uh, and, and I think that's something this film succeeds at quite well is, yes, we are essentially watching uh, things that have been animated onto uh, wide shots of the ocean. I mean, that's literally what we're watching for extended sequences of this. Um, but the uh, concept design uh, of these monsters and robots and, and the way they move uh, does feel real. They feel interesting. They're not overly designed. Uh, they, they, they're the right amount of design, which... Uh, is something I feel like a lot of filmmakers fail when they fail at when they get this kind of property is the things just feel overproduced uh, and there's too many moving parts on them and it just looks like a giant pile of dog shit uh, literally I mean there's so much like happening that it just becomes an indistinguishable mass of of CGI this movie has very little internal logic that makes I, I mean next to zero sense um, and that's kind of infuriating sometimes but then you get these beautiful moments uh, where uh, you know we're, People are sharing their most intimate, emotional, uh, personal traumas uh, while they're trying to fight uh, giant monsters. If you can get past how stupid it is, this is one of the better stupid movies that I think has ever been made. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. And I want to echo exactly that sentiment. This is a big, dumb, loud, smashy, smashy kind of movie. And if you give yourself to that, it is loads and loads of fun. I'm not keen on Charlie Hunnam either. I think the set design and just art direction of the film is brilliant, as we've already discussed. I think the CGI integration with uh, the uh, real-world stuff is pretty fantastic. I also like the scientist a lot. I don't remember that actor's name either, Dalton, but he looks like... It's hard to pronounce. So, yeah, I I like it a lot. I think it's 
a lot of fun. I went and saw it twice in theaters and uh, wasn't really mad about that at all. It was big, loud, smashy, smashy. And uh, when you're in the mood for that, this is a good way to scratch that particular itch. So there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. They're generally pro with some questions here and there. Um, I think, though, it might be time to play the game. In this week's game, um, inspired by Pacific Rim, which should have had a toy line following it, we are going to pitch toy lines for films. Uh, That's right. Uh, Movies we wish had toy lines or had been tour lines before they were movies. Hey, wasn't it cool that they uh, made a movie out of some of your favorite childhood toys? No, it wasn't. It was terrible. They called it Transformers and no one likes them. That's correct. So there you go, dear listener. We are going to take a look at that. I'm going to go to you first, Mr. Caleb Masters. What toy lines uh, would you like to see uh, inspired by cinema? Well, upon doing research, I will say it was a little trickier to find you know, popular films that don't already have toy lines. Thank you, uh, thanks to uh, McFarlane Toys, who now makes to- like really well-made toys of like literally every fandom you can think of, every single one. So it is a little trickier. Now, if I could see a more robust, if I could make a more robust uh, list of uh, toy lines that I either wish I had owned or I didn't find a great deal of info on online, uh, firstly, just for fun, Swiss Army Man, uh, I need... Ah! I need Daniel Radcliffe that makes farty noises and has an electronic boner. No. As part of the action figure. I, I refuse. That's called a sex toy, Caleb. I'm in. Oh, I didn't say life size. He's going to be an action figure size. Yeah, you didn't Whatever have does to. it for you, buddy. Yeah, it's a pocket fuck boy. <laughs> Game boy, never mind. Uh, so, <laughs> um, so, but moving on there for beyond there, uh, I want to see an Evil Dead toy line. Just think of all of the cool things that little demon... Th- Toys could do. I mean, just think they could turn their heads. They got all the cool designs. Well, from Sam the, the Holy Grail is the the giant castle set toy. Well, yes, almost definitely. Or you could uh, get the Necronomicon, like a toy version of that, though. Not like this. Not the five hundred dollar ver. You know, recreation. No, no, no. I want like a, a cheap, you know, twenty dollar toy version. I can show to my friends. Or you could just borrow my copy of the real one. <sighs> Dustin, I thought we. Okay, never mind. I, I've already done that one time. I thought we said that was yeah, off the books. Never read the Latin. Uh, uh, I draw the line in the fucking sand at reading the creepy Latin. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, now, uh, related to other Del Toro films, Blade Two. Why? Because Blade Two had the coolest character design. Those vampires in that movie were awesome. The way their mouths opened up. You get like, yourself a Ron Perlman action figure, just because why not have more Ron Perlman action figures? Um, Blade's cool as shit. Um, and, and like, you know, there's that, that little pool that the vampire walks out of the middle. Think about having like an action figure it could sit like in like red dye. You know, you kind of keep us like a collector's item. Be pretty crazy. Um, and then lastly, the leave extraordinary gentleman. Give me a toy line. Oh yeah. Come on. Yeah. Come on board. Uh, I mean like, you know, you, you, you get all those kind of, uh, famous literary figures and that's, and that's the one I looked up really hard. There actually isn't a toy line on that. I'm like, okay, come on. This is toy, toy sells itself. Excellent. I like those picks very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Arthur Gordon, what are your selections? Um, I went with uh, the first one was Hellraiser uh, because you get all the Cinnabites, which should be cool, and you can have all these little action figures Cinnabites. and different accessories. It, uh, you want to go to a, a, a Cinnabun for your Cinnabites? It, <laughs> sorry. It's just stupid. No, I'm, I'm in. I'm oh, with you. Oh, man. I what enjoyed a that. You make mini cinnamon rolls, and they're <laughs> called Cinnabites, in a Hellraiser uh, uh, puzzle cube shape. 
make cinnamon. Okay. Actually, the puzzle cube is like an easy bake oven. Yes, oh they produce the cinnamon. You know you love it, <laughs> Dustin Tell, because you Hellraiser fanboy. Somebody call each, Mattel. Each each uh, <laughs> each purchase comes with a puzzle box, and if you solve it, you get a free order of cinnabites and a cock ring. <laughs> Appropriate. Uh, the next one I would say is the Cornetto trilogy. I want action figures from all of those films because uh, that would be a fun uh, little thing to do. Yes, we have the vinyl up here, but I would like actual little points of our t- like little GI Joes. Yes, it was fully loaded. Absolutely, uh, GI Joes. Uh, I know this one got one, but we kind of phrased this when we thought about it as movies that had, should have had toy lines before they were movies and Aliens uh, yeah. that had a lot of toy lines. But I think you know there's a lot to be done there, and it's really cool. Uh, and especially because they came up with all these different weird designs and stuff for the toy lines, and so that's fun. Uh, lastly, though, uh, I would say Mad Max. Uh, would be a yeah. great toy line. Please. Different action figures, all the different cars, all the different accessories you could buy to like jack up the cars and uh, you know Mac- Mad Max them out would be a lot of fun. I like those picks a lot. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what are your selections? Well, I didn't do a lot of research, so I'm just going to put a lot of um, my own flavor of spin on these toy lines. Uh, First of all, I know that there are Funko Pops of this particular fandom, and that fandom is Scott Pilgrim. But I think that you could do some really, really cool stuff. Like, I don't know, making a a fake Canada set. You can maybe Scott Pilgrim's house that you can make into a tent in your living room. So it's like we. So it's like I, I can't. I'm never going to get to live in Toronto, so I can just kind of live there via my toy set. Yes, and you could also make. Uh, you can have um, comic book um, exclamation mark signs and and, and or <laughs> or you can make your own VR. Um, augmented vr like virtual reality like pokemon go type thing you can wear on uh like a uh, google headset thing where you can see all of the cool like pop culture references yeah that would be cool um another film i'd like to see a toy line for is summer wars summer wars has a lot oh fuck you (laughs) um but yeah you can make some cute little plushies or funko pops out of all of the in-game uh characters there are lots of cute little characters in that movie i I buy the bunny it's the the rabbit right yeah Yeah, the bunny and the squirrel avatar they're really cute um and then her avatar at the very end would also be fun. Uh, Fight Club action figures, because obviously, um, obviously they will start, you know, bleeding the more you mess with them. You can like interject fake blood. Oh, into you them. know, like a rock'em sock'em. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'm surprised that isn't already existing. And they'll uh, slowly convince you to blow up a Starbucks. Exactly. <laughs> can we get can we get the Tyler Durden on the tricycle still? Oh, a soap making kit. Oh, man. Yeah. Oh, man. There are so many. <laughs> man, arts and crafts time with Tyler Durden. There are so many opportunities to uh, make uh, merchandise for this movie that's against uh, capitalism. <laughs> that's very true. How, how ironic. Um, and last but not least, um, as a kid, I love playing dress up. So I would love to see um, very detailed, interactive um, costume sets for some of my favorite fandoms like X-Men and Veronic Mars. It's like your starter detective kit. You know, comes with a toy camera and a notebook and a taser and a dog and like a whole bunch of other things like that. And you could do that. (laughs) A toy taser. Um, You could could do that for Buffy. You could do that for Firefly. You could do that for so many other fandoms, just like these uh, really, really detailed like kids uh, cosplay kits. Excellent. Thank you very much for that, Ms. Alexander Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your selections? So I I definitely uh, took to heart the idea of 
films that seem like they should have had toy lines to begin with, and they, they films that seem like they should have been based on a pre-existing thing. Uh, first, I'm going to say the uh, the Fast and Furious franchise. Uh, I'm not the first one to point this out. Uh, that franchise has basically become the Saturday morning cartoon version of the franchise, um, uh, and that's what I think about when I, I think about uh, the Fast and Furious as a, a Vin Diesel surfing on top of a car action figure. <laughs> uh, Terminator, I like it's such a lore even from the first film that it seems like it should have been already already have been around for like 15 years before it was a film. Uh, and another film that feels that way to me that is very terrible, uh, but has a nostalgic spot in my heart because I was uh, like a 12 year old boy when the franchise started uh, is those terrible underworld movies. Um, I, you know, say what you will about them. They're terrible, uh, but they have a very kind of like lived in mythology that seems like they had a, a pen and paper RPG that predates them by several years. It's because they totally ripped off that one. Uh, Vampire, yeah, the, masquerade. the Masquerade, and White Wolf, or whatever. They totally ripped those off. That's why it feels that way. Uh, but yeah, no, there definitely should have been like, uh, and there are pretty dope werewolf action figures for that. But yeah, I, I think all of these franchises feel like they have a mythology and an iconic look. Uh, even those terrible underworld movies, their, their worlds do kind of have a specific look. And I think all those franchises we've talked about so far, all the way around the table, kind of have very specific visions that seem like they should have been around for years and years before they ever hit the uh, big screen. Excellent. I agree entirely, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, one of my selections is that I think it should have been a toy line before it existed, and that is Planet of the Apes. That they, I, yeah. I think since they yeah. did make some toys, and there oh, are they've some made things, a bunch, man. Yeah, thereafter. But I think beforehand, before the big '80s thing hit, like this should have been it. You know, and speaking of the fact that most of this sort of toy line inspired stuff that we have seen has been mostly '80s tastic, uh, there are some moments before then that might be worthy of some conversation. Uh, we can uh, look at our Star Wars show. You might uh, learn a little more about that, huh? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Uh, and uh, one of those things is I would like to see, you know, a Spartacus uh, action figure set. I mean, wouldn't that be fun? You know, the horses and the chariots and Charlton Heston and you get the stadium. It was the crucifix. And it, 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 okay. Crucifix the blood, mostly the blood. You have to buy like six, it's like the Marvel lines where you have to buy like six action figures and you put together like, a mega yeah, figure. Yeah, it creates a diorama. The, of the crucifix, yeah. yeah. And you yeah. can have like mystery boxes, you know, and like you're hoping for something really awesome you get nothing but lepers uh, every every, uh, every figure story of my life man <laughs> every figure in the toy line has an action phrase but it's just i am spartacus <laughs> oh, jesus christ uh, did i say spartacus i meant ben-hur i meant ben-hur too late. the whole time too late. holy cow i well spartacus yes ben-hur also Your screw up was our, well, they, our they take pl- they take place in the uh, sword and sandals uh, shared mythology yes, yes. Uh, universe but i did utter spartacus instead of ben-hur ben-hur was my intention hence charlton heston um, lastly, um, as far as my back in time before we get back into the 80s uh, for a show that I really am amazed it didn't have a toy line, is a 40s film. Um, I'd like to see like a Maltese Falcon Sam Spade uh, toy action figure set. You know, it'd be great. You know, the dame walks in, you got Sam, you got Gutman, you've got, you know, you've got the Gunsel, the little kid, you've got the cars, you can have like a classic, you Comes know. Comes with a pack of 20 Class A cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Checkered yellow cab cars and, you know, those kind of things and fedoras. It'd, Watch Sam smoke. <laughs> Watch Sam type. <laughs> Watch him monologue quietly in the rain. You hit the button on the back, and all of a sudden, uh, like a 10 minute monologue comes yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> Lastly, and uh, not leastly, and I think this has again happened since, but something that should have happened beforehand uh, is Big Trouble in Little China. Should have had toys beforehand. It would have been fantastic. It had the greatest toy line of all. It's called Mortal Kombat, right? Mortal Com- well, eventually. So there you go, dear listener. Those are our selections. We'd love to hear yours. You can do that via those magical means we all know as social media. 
Arthur, would you like to tell us a little bit more about that? Yes, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash media. Uh, go over there, click that like page, let us know that you're uh, listening and engage us in conversation because that's why we do this. We love to talk to you. You can also find us at the source, goodtrashmedia.com. You can leave a comment right here on the page. Let us know you're listening and that you uh, disagree with Dalton because it's always fun when people disagree with Dalton. Uh, yes. And, uh, you know, check out the website. We've got some really cool content over there. I think disagreeing with Dalton should be its own toy line uh, <laughs> entirely. It's, it's, like like a, a, it's a board game. It's like a Magic 8-Ball. Uh, and, and, I, and I, can, I can assure you, uh, of the five people at this table, I am the most fun to disagree with. Because <laughs> I, I can't not engage you, and I guarantee you it's not going to take that long in exchange for me to call you a motherfucker or a trash person. <laughs> and if, you, if you listeners want the cheat code to just automatically beat Dalton, post on Facebook because he will not he will not engage with you on the Facebooks. Uh, I'm not on Facebook, so I already won. And if you like all of this Dalton harassment and you want to contribute and support us uh, financially, head over to patreon.com forward slash GTM. You know, look over what we're doing over there. We've got some really cool stuff coming out. We've already done a lot of stuff thanks to the support of our great listeners. And so go check out patreon.com forward slash GTM. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, is there yet another social media means by which the conversation could be held? Yes, uh, Dustin. As a matter of fact, there is. Um, If you arbitrarily and nonsensically cobble together an a smartphone out of a literal pile of trash uh, and hold it up to your head. Uh, Something happens, you learn uh, about advancing the plot, and then you can also use Twitter. Uh, That's right, we are on Twitter, at good underscore trash. That's where you can find the entire Good Trash Media Network. Excellent. Thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. As I look upon my watch, though, I think it's definitely time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. That's right, and that business is, as always, analysis. Uh, I'm very excited to hear what my dear co-hosts have to say. We're going to have more of a roundtable discussion today as we move our way through the film. Um, And so what I'm going to try to do, as some of my co-hosts have uttered some thoughts and ideas to me, is sort of move through some general questions uh, semi-chronologically through the film. And so uh, one of the first things that was mentioned is uh, PTSD and uh, sort of survivor's guilt and those kinds of things. Uh, and uh, what the, the film opens with this really kind of epic scene, you know, Charlie Hinnom loses his brother. Um, so what do we think this film is saying with regard to that um, as we use that as a uh, sort of a inciting incident uh, for the uh, screenwriting of the film? Well, I think with the as with a lot of things in this film, uh, it's saying it can be overcome through punching. Um, <laughs> but yeah. but I actually mean that uh, in a more nuanced and interesting way than I, I think it sounds like. I mean, um, yes, they, they they fight the monsters by punching them in the face. But I think there's something very interesting uh, about the idea of overcoming trauma through um, physicality. Um, there, there's a reason uh, that yoga started as a way to get into deep meditation. Uh, it's because when you're doing something very strenuous with your body, it's kind of hard to focus on uh, your running thoughts. Uh, and I think there's something interesting about the idea that it takes an entire two people to move this giant fucking robot. Um, and, and the act of moving it is so strenuous that it does kind of uh, force you to reckon with your pain um, or be consumed by it. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing the film has to say about um, how you can, through uh, practiced physicality, kind of get through certain things. 
Well, uh, the way I, I kind of uh, read that, Dustin, is that it is really early on trying to establish that while they are at war and while apparently based on the rest of the film, that's the only way they can get out of the the conflict that they're in, you know, because they're fighting mods, mindless monsters. Um, but that war, no matter what, no matter just or not, does come at a cost. So it automatically it gives our character stakes and it also establishes that, yeah, you're about to see these giant robots get in a war with these giant mindless kaijus. But um, it's not all fun and games. Like it, it is, it, it does come with a loss. Um, as you can tell uh, throughout the film, not just with our Charlie Hunnam, but also with uh, the Stagger Pentecost and Mako. Yeah, yes, both of them have also lost people, and and I so I think it's a it's a theme that's running throughout the course of this film is that war, while it, it may accomplish things, at least in the context of this film does come at a cost and one that and one that doesn't go away all of these characters in this film are struggling with loss in one way or another throughout the entire film and actually for most of them i'd say that's their character arc is trying to figure out how to overcome that sense of the loss that piece of them that was robbed from them especially you know when you're you're you know you're sharing a brain with somebody i mean holy crap it doesn't get much more personal than that uh it's your brother who you're also sharing brain space with um so yeah war is hell and it comes at a cost war 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 never changes. changes Oh, I, I was going to ask, gonna what is up. it good for? I was going to go for, for that, too. Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. nothing. Say it again. War. Huh. What is it good for? Absolutely, Absolutely nothing. Say it again. <laughs> All right. Uh, one thing I do notice about that, though, Dustin, is that, and guys, is... I noticed that most of these characters, to fulfill their arc, they all lean towards self-sacrifice uh, to try to get that done. We see it with Stacker, and we see it with uh, uh, Raleigh. And we don't really see it with Mako, uh, necessarily, because she still isn't able to handle the stress of uh, piloting one of the Jaegers. Uh, but I thought it was interesting that for these characters to be able to overcome that that guilt and that, that uh, PTSD of theirs that they've all encountered uh, was for them to make these self-sacrificial moves uh, – possibly as a way to atone for for that that guilt and for not being there uh initially uh to get the job done in their minds excellent excellent okay well that that's interesting stuff there there's another thing happening early on in the film and the opening uh montage is uh charlie hunnam uh giving some voiceover uh to uh hello my name is charlie hunnam and i'm here to give you an exposition dump that's pretty much it and but it does feel like a propaganda film a little bit, uh, propaganda footage uh, and whatnot to me at least a little bit. Uh, and uh, the, the the content of the monologue also suggests that. In that uh, we were prepared militarily, and then we stopped taking the enemy seriously. And now we have you know a greater threat has risen its head. And I, I can't help but think about Dwight D. Eisenhower and his you know fear of the military industrial complex. And this film perhaps is. Um, unintentionally, I, mean, I might guess, um, advocating for advancing the military-industrial complex. I don't think it is an accident, Dustin. I think this is because this film is, again, an execution in genre, a genre which is very pro-military, because, again, you are thinking about uh, post-nuke Japan. And while Japan does not have an acting, air quotes, military, they do have a very strong defense force. Like, they literally have one of the best militaries in the world, but they just don't invade other places um but uh if you notice that godzilla your godzilla and you look at all of your japanese films uh and your entire mech anime subgenre i mean that is a huge thing about you know uh fight uh, you know joining the military is is this kind of glorified thing it's weird because i don't know if del toro actually thinks that but i think he does have such a deep love for the genre that of course you wouldn't want to cheat that in your in your execution of uh, said story i think it's it's one of the more complicated things caleb uh, about uh this 
type of genre because despite my complete and utter disdain for it, I do know a little bit about it. Um, it is this this really kind of interesting relationship Japanese media seems to have with the idea of warfare. Um, it's a very complicated one because they've they've kind of seen it at its worst. Uh, they did some pretty heinous shit uh, in World War II, um, but they also you know were the only nation on the face of this planet that's had nukes dropped on it. Um, so I think they have a very complicated relationship with violence and, and warfare. Uh, and I think a lot of their content, especially you think about the stuff that Hideo Kojima makes. Uh, with you know those Metal Gear Solid games, which are literally like twenty-hour um, anti-war <laughs> movies that have some gameplay in them that chastise you for killing people, um, and I think that's very interesting. And as Arthur pointed out, there there's this theme of uh, redemption through sacrifice. I, I can't think of the last uh, uh, Japanese uh, thing I heard about, especially involving mechs that didn't involve a character, uh, a major character uh, committing a self-sacrifice. Um, so I, I find that very interesting. Uh, to speak to Dustin's larger point, though, uh, I'm, I'm with you, man. There is kind of this war-hawking type attitude going on. The the I, the human bad guys in this film are the bureaucrats that want to hide behind their their wall that also seems to be built by a some sort of large industrial complex uh, it's just saying no yeah complexes are going to happen but the better one is the the proactive one uh, is Idris Elba's uh, which is about making war uh, war things preemptive warfare exactly well and and it's really fascinating because like I feel like this film has a lot in common with the arc of where Game of Thrones is going especially we're building a wall we gotta uh, we have or slash we have a wall we gotta keep all of the scary things out out of the place w- using our giant wall and our heroes are saying no that's not the right way we need to fight it face on um, and I think it really has something to do maybe less with I mean, I do think it does touch a lot on militarism and, you know, the military industrial complex and everything. But I think it's also commenting on the human nature's reluctance um, to just sit passively and accept where where life is going, which is going to be everyone's going to die. I mean, regardless of if you die in a war or if you die at 110, everyone is going to die. It's the race to the red light. It is the race to the red light. The the insistence to to do action as opposed to be passive. Yeah, exactly. And so that's... um, I think that's not, it could be, I mean, it is that militarism, but I do think it's also some wish fulfillment too, because how many times do you all experience in your mundane, you know, I live a mundane life, you live a mundane life, you're non-film, you know, you don't live in a movie universe live, Um, you just experience like so many things that you just can't act on, You, you can't take charge and you can't change something and this i think this kind of acts as a bit of a wish fulfillment that you can take charge change your destiny and and save the world and your life you literally get to punch the end of your mortality in the fucking face yes yeah when you put it like that that's kind of cool well i mean that is the pleasures of it i think so i think you guys are right on uh with that now in in terms of this militarization um uh, it is not nationalistic it's it's something more globalistic as we put together this team of russians australians japanese americans and brits uh what we think about and the that. chinese and the chinese I, I think it's beautiful i think it's one of the the prettiest and most heartwarming things about this film uh, is the idea that ev- everybody is coming to the table with their own baggage. Everybody is useful. Everybody is talented. 
Um, and, and I think it's kind of lovely. And it's one of my favorite things about the movie is that, um, yes, the hero uh, is American, but uh, that's because this was, you know, made by an American studio for primarily American audience, despite the fact it ended up doing gangbusters overseas and only making like $30 million in the U.S. Um, but uh, the American dude's uh, best friend and partner is a Japanese woman and his mentor is a black British man. Um, that's pretty fucking dope, if you ask me. When he fights alongside the Russians. Yeah. Uh, which and, is and the Chinese, uh, although the Russians and the Chinese are pretty quickly murdered. Um, so and it's, it's kind not, of boiled down to stereotypes. Well, yeah, a little that, bit. That's, and that's, that's every that's, character in this movie, though. It's not just it's not just the Russians or the or the Chinese. Like even even everyone's an arc. If they're not a, if they're not a stereotype, they're an archetype. Even even Mako and even Charlie Hunnam are still uh, again. I, I go back to this as an execution of genre where you are. It's everything's like an archetype. I know. I think that's part of the film's weakness, Caleb. I, I mean, I, I get your defense there, but I'm, I'm with you, Alex. I think. Yeah, every everyone is, and that's part of why this is a weak film is because nobody really feels like anything of consequence. I, I won't say it's that's not my a really defense because I'm not necessarily going to defend the use of archetypes in that way. But I, I will say, I, I looking at it from from a creative standpoint, I, I understand exactly why he decided to do that. Yeah. Even the etymology of the name Kaiju and the name Jaeger. I mean, two, one's a Japanese word, one's a German word. I mean, it goes back into this like we're we're boiling down these these cultures and i mean if you want to read it the severely you can you can say it's always been the west versus the east you know in term i know that in world war ii um you know japan and germany had an alliance but at the same time like it you know the western western cultures have always had an intense distrust for eastern cultures and vice versa and, and vice versa so whenever you make an american centric film that is set with an american lead you name the the hero robot after something that is western and you name the uh enemy robot after something that's eastern and, and i, I think mean the best anime. way they get around that is is by having uh, Maka, the the secondary lead be a Japanese woman, right? And and but I think you have a good point, though. right? But then couldn't that also be an exercise in tokenism in order to combat that stereotype? I mean, you can get into the yeah. weeds on this pretty hard. Yeah, well, and it's interesting, and, and we we say all this, and it's also made by Guillermo del Toro, who is not American. Uh, exactly, or, or, or he's uh, born. He's not Native American. I should say he's not born American. Um, so it's just it's it's interesting. I don't know. That yeah, that's a clusterfuck. Yeah, I, 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 yeah. No, as soon as yeah, I, I could tell as soon as you said Native American, you were like, ah, oh, motherfucker. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, no. So again, I don't think those criticisms are are, are necessarily unjust. I but I, I will say if you and this is something he does. I mean, if you're gonna if you're going to lob that criticism at this film, I think it should probably lob the most of his American films because uh, you even look at something like Crimson Peak, where it's the same thing. Everybody, it's not as ra- it's not as racially divisive in that film, but every character in that film is also an archetype that has been that has he uh, has been laid out over uh, you know in the gothic romance genre, for example. Um, but to get back to Dustin's question, um, I really appreciate the kind of uh, optimistic look at globalism. Um, it's just really sad that the only thing that can bring the entire human race together is you know kaiju or um or uh you know al moore's creative alien because uh, i think dalton you said it last week uh, this is a sequel to, to the watchman the graphic novel uh hey the aliens invaded now we're all gonna fight together and just put aside our differences to beat the, the, yeah, the Paci- pacific rim is a is a sequel to watchman yeah i like that i I'd, I'd watch this chain of movies as long as we get to shorten watchmen by at least an hour and 45 minutes just watch the uh, you don't, don't watch don't watch the the, the film watchmen watch the uh the, the movie the motion comic, motion comic yeah. it's like four times as long but it's better yeah and there's aliens in that one not not in the uh film I think the only thing that really bothers me about this, because again, overall, I find it very pretty, uh, but it's got the same problem that all 
you know, science fiction, uh, multinationalism, you know, one, one, er, one, you know, earth coming together to defend itself or to be part of a larger intergalactic community, uh, all of Star Trek, you know, however you want to spin it, all of these always seem to, uh, leave out non-industrialized nations. Uh, so yeah, there, there there's no Honduran Jaeger pilots, uh, and I think it's because the, it's because they didn't have strong enough militaries to fight off. The, well, the it's it's, well, it's because they they're not importing uh, movies the way China is. I think that's really what it comes. Oh down no no to. no no but, totally totally. But, but yeah. I think anytime you you have this you know this beautiful idealized globalism in film in TV, um, I I think Star Trek might get around this a little bit. Um, you know with with Sulu and Uhura, but uh, the the uh, original series. Um, but I think I can't. I cannot think of a single thing where we have this, you know, uh, one human force coming together to defend the Earth that like heavily features. I don't know Kenyans. I, I can't. I can't think of a single one. Uh, no, there's not. No, you're absolutely right. I think. There. And if if there is one, I, I'm sorry. I don't. I'm not aware of it. You should tell Dalton at good underscore trash on Twitter. Thank you. Um, another thing that we need to talk about, though, as we are all really, really big Guillermo del Toro fans, um, let's just talk about how this film uh, fits into his oeuvre, because this is a big, smashy, smashy uh, blockbuster. He's got a couple other blockbustery kind of movies um, out there that are sort of the big action, smashy, smashy. I'm thinking about Hellboy uh, in particular. But there's also other things. So what do we think about um, del Toro's auteurism uh, with regard to this film? Well, it's, it's it's interesting, Dustin, because he really there's really two Del Toros in a way. You've got your your American studio Del Toro, and you've got kind of more your in, independent uh, Spanish speaking film Del Toro, where he makes Chronos, The Devil's Backbone, and then uh, most notably, I think probably his most famous uh, non English speaking film is probably Pan's Labyrinth. Uh, all three of those are masterpieces, by the way. Um, but then you have the studio where it, it, it's interesting because you see him really get into like this crazy like the. Horror, usually kind of a horror darker more intimate uh character studies and he's usually that's where he kind of gets into some into the weeds about po- the politics of those countries um and it's really really fascinating and then you swap it to american studio del toro and he's making he's a fanboy all of a sudden uh, like he's making blade 2 he's making hellboy 1 and 2 he's making pacific rim you know again all these big and again this is why I love Del Toro because I think he's a very nuanced because it makes him a more nuanced director. But you have this guy who, when he's when he's doing things, kind of his na- I guess you would say his more native turf. I suppose um, it seems more more personal, uh, at least um, when it when it kind of deals w- dealing with like real world politics versus. American studio films, where it still feels very personal, but it's like in the personal in the, in the way that like my twelve year old, thirteen year old, fourteen year old self would be like, "Oh, this is so cool! Let's make a really cool, awesome action movie featuring things I love." One thing that I find fascinating, and I forgive me if I'm wrong, because I, I'm forgive me if I'm wrong because I haven't seen all of Del Toro's uh, work, but I do get the whole premise of auteurism, and we should you know reiterate that um, you know auteur theory is the fact that. Uh, the you can attribute a film to a primary author, that usually being the director, and then that director's style, vision, tone, themes tend to carry throughout their works. Uh, Hitchcock being a primary example, which is which totally proves Sidney Lumet wrong. But I digress. Um, <laughs> I, I I can see that point. It, I think Lumet's dead wrong on that one. Um, but I do think that. You can still call, I think you can still put Pacific Rim in the same 
field of study as devil's backbone, despite the commercialization and, you know, the studio system being completely different. And I think it's because of primary themes. I mean, both of them have a really interesting um, message about weapons and um, war. And I think that it both question the nature of violence. Now, I would say that we on the show we talk a lot about like advanced quote advanced film watching and while i don't think that the devil's backbone is a particularly advanced film to watch it's definitely more advanced than watching pacific rim so i think that a lot of the themes that are in devil's backbone specifically have been boiled down to just like a very simple syrup and have been infused within uh, pacific rim thoughts I think you're dead on the money, man. Uh, the the thing that I, I I'm always most fascinated by Del Toro is how he he fetish is the wrong word, uh, but how he always finds a way to get in these things that he loves, like insects and weird body horror and pulsating and mm-hmm. even and Ron Perlman. Yeah, Ron Perlman <laughs> and things uh, in jars. Yeah, and that's the thing. Yeah, uh, the inside of the Jaeger cockpit looks like something pulsating inside of a jar. Like the suits are a little biomechanical looky. Um, and and I, I love that about him, that even though he's making this big robot punch-em-up movie, um, you can definitely tell, like, this is the same guy that convinced New Line Cinema to let him make a vampire movie where the evil vampires had uh, uh, vagina dentata for a mouth. Like, this, I love him. I love him to pieces. He loves gross shit. Um, and he likes take, make, taking gross shit and making it look kind of sexy in a weird way. Uh, and I love him for that. And I think visually I think is where you're going to find the strongest through line for his work um, but absolutely you're right Alex I mean he does have a fascination with the the way uh, we as a as a human race impact the natural environment around us you, you get that with uh, both of the Hellboys but especially in Hellboy 2 uh, you even get a little bit of it in Blade 2 uh, but you know obvi- and obviously it's all there and uh, Backbone and a little bit in Kronos um, you even get in fucking Mimic of all things um, so mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I, I think you're, you're dead on Alex. I think, um, while Caleb is, is right there, there are almost two different del Toros. Uh, I, I, th- I think Alex is hitting on something that I don't think it's talked about enough, which is those two del Toros are a lot more similar than, uh, he's often given credit for. I, I think you're right, Dalton. Um, and uh, the reason why I, I say that, and I, and I totally see where Caleb's coming from, because there are um, times when you have more studio intervention. You know, the mimic story and itself. And I think that's, is, yeah, that's really where the differences are probably coming from. Is, yeah, quite famous. And I, and I think, you know, he's learned some lessons and uh, has made, you know, different kinds of choices since with Hellboy and then uh, Blade Two and with... Uh, Pacific Rim. Well, his, his best film, Blade 2. Yeah. Uh, well, his best film is Pan's Labyrinth. His, his undisputed uh, his, masterpiece, his, Blade 2. His uh, best American film, Blade His two. undisputed masterpiece, Blade 2. Okay. <laughs> uh, you guys know I'm kidding. You're so adorable. Uh, you're precious. Uh, my, my favorite host pick that I've ever gotten on this show. Yeah. Uh, and, but there is, again, uh, there's a visual through line. There is a sort of idea of interpenetrating worlds that I think is thematically oh, linked all the time. Up, dude. You yeah. know, Pan's Labyrinth, we have that. Devil's Backbone, we have that. We've got that in Mimic with the Underworld. And we've got that in Blade 2 with the vampire world. I could go on and on. Hellboy, obviously, in the fairy kingdom down below and the Trolls Bridge. And and then the, the, the situation for uh, Pacific Rim is the drift, is is the sort of, you know, matrixy other world mm-hmm. uh, in which uh, other parts of existence take place. And so I think that is all, that's probably 
the one theme I can think of that is consistently that I can't think of a film that doesn't have some aspect of that. Plus, just again, the good visuals of th- bottled grotesque things. The beautiful grotesque, yeah. really, is what we're talking about. And uh, that seems to happen in everything he makes. Um, Alex, you had an observation you want to bring up also, right? Yeah, one thing that I, I mean, it's very apparent that the kaiju are coated blue and the Jaegers are coated red. And I'm just throwing it out there to see what do y'all think about color symbolism about that. I think someone was watching, uh, grew up watching a little too much Star Wars. What do you think, guys? Uh, red versus blue, or he's, or he was watching a shitload of Halo YouTube videos. Uh, I, there's definitely uh, just ignoring that comment. Uh, there, <laughs> there's definitely this interesting thing, and I think it might speak to this uh, land water dichotomy, maybe because yeah, there, there, we've got these soft blues with with the kaiju, uh, and even like like pale colors. I mean, there, there's like pale sea foamy whites and stuff, uh, and with the Jaegers, yeah, there, you got the reds, but you also got a lot of earth tones, like a lot of greens and stuff. Like especially the the Russian one, um, and Gypsy Danger has some blue on it, but yeah, it's a lot of oranges and stuff. Also, like, we haven't even talked about the fucking dope ass names they have for these robots. Gypsy Danger, that's the coolest thing ever. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. Uh, I, I don't know what that means. Uh, I think you're. It's interesting. I think it's pretty, and I help. I think it helps differentiate. Uh, giant things when they smash into each other i don't know what it means well i think part of it is um less symbolism and more just an aesthetic uh preference from uh del toro he is a huge fan of italian giallo film and uh that use of sort of the major colors you know in extreme ways and because even when we're talking about the coating of the animals versus the uh, robots themselves there's a lot of use of this like pink light there's a lot of use of blue light and gold light throughout the film uh in particular rooms uh that that they're sort of shining in a particular moment even when you think about the uh, design for the sort of virtual reality interface uh, that the mission control uses in the film. And I think a lot of that is a throwback to his love for Giallo film. Um, you can look at his, uh, his short film, Geometria, um, which is just full of that sort of thing with a lot of red and a lot of blue. And so I think that's part of it as well. Uh, I had one... Oh, sorry, Caleb, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, uh, again, I don't... Again, I think this is more for uh, kind of more surface-level aesthetic, but I do think, you know, Dalton talked about in his review at the top, like, uh, one of the best strengths of this film is that you can actually see what's going on, um, and to see a kaiju and a robot fighting at night, you have... you They really did, I, I believe, need to add that extra layer of color for contrast to, to further define the action that was going on. I mean, not to... I mean, yes, it gives us a really cool, sexy-looking glow to everything, but, it, but I, I, I legitimately think it made... what could have been really miserable action sequences look really great well thank you very much for that discussion uh, dear co-hosts of the film pacific rim we're so glad you've tuned in and listened in with us about this particular show we now have to talk about uh the time of the show in which we render a verdict show for trash and then our else or insteads and so let's begin with that mr arthur gordon what do you say show for trash else or instead uh i don't have the heart so i'm gonna say shelf and i would say watch in with uh, Power Rangers the movie uh, yeah. some Godzilla King Kong something like that and Jurassic Park excellent I like that very much Caleb Masters shelf for trash else for instead well it, it's on my shelf I don't love it as much as I loved it in the theaters but this is still very worthy of a rewatch it's lots of fun get a bunch of friends over together make some popcorn and watch this movie it's lots of fun um, uh, else I'm also going to rec- recommend what I think uh, is a superior film of Del Toro's recently is Crimson Peak if you're wanting to see another again execution of a specific genre I think it, it's, it's fucking great um, if you want to see more giant fighting robots you know what? there's this great new TV show on Netflix it's a remake of Voltron from 
the creator, uh, well, from uh, the some of the talent from who worked on Avatar: The Last Airbender and The Legend of Korra. So hey, it's fucking great. Uh, definitely check that out. Another film that I really enjoy that involves fighting robots is uh, surprisingly Real Steel. It's a real fun, sweet movie. And lastly, you go back to the original Godzilla. Don't do any of this American garbage. Watch the original 1954 Godzilla. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what do you say? Show for trash, elsewhere instead. I could not think of a film that's less essential, but much like Arthur, I don't have the heart to trash a Del Toro film, so I'm not going to, but I would recommend uh, to pair with it. Um, a film from a couple years, just a year or two after, that I feel like has a kind of a similar visual aesthetic, uh, and that's uh, Live, Die, Repeat, colon, Edge of Tomorrow. Um, I, I, I like that movie. I just I, I think it's going to get forgotten about unfairly because it is a, a really fun, interesting film, and I think it, it shares a lot of uh, similar things. You know, end of the world, uh, hopeless fight against uh, unstoppable alien horde, and visually it's very appealing. This is like the fourth Del Toro movie we've talked about on this show, and literally every time we do one, we say, you should also watch everything else he's ever done, and that is correct. He has not made an outright bad movie. I think even Mimic, uh, which is close to unwatchable, is still exceptionally fascinating just for the -the behind-the-scenes stories about it. Um, Yeah, do that. And I I love Crimson Peak so much, so you should definitely do that. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what do you say? Show for trash, else or instead? I can't trash it, but I'd say don't you you shouldn't pay more than $5 for it uh, unless you really like Del Toro, I guess. Um, I'm going to pair it with uh, D- Dalton discussed earlier, Star Trek, which is one of the few semblances of people coming together uh, because they're peaceful and not because there's war. Um, I would also pair it with original Japanese Godzilla, like Caleb said. I would also uh, pair it for with Star Wars The Force Awakens for that John Boyega tie-in for, the, uh, for Pacific Rim 2. And then finally, I'm going to pair with an anime it's called Gurren Lagann. Oh it, yes, oh, yeah, so great. Yeah, it's a it's just a one season anime, twenty eight episodes. It's big mechs fighting giant monsters. I mean, it is except it's in the middle of the desert and not in the ocean. So there's a big difference for you there. But it's quite fun. Um, and I I really need to finish it. I never I, got around to finishing I it. I think I'm gonna go home and watch it as soon as we're done. Now there you go. It's a great uh, pairing with this film. Okay, thank you very much. Um, I'm also going to say shelf because I love all the GDT and I want it all in me at all times. Um, because want- oh. yeah, that's what I said. And uh, I, I I just love Del Toro, and so uh, this is this is a film that's a lot of fun. It is it is lesser Del Toro in, in many ways, but it's worth having as far as I'm concerned. Pair it with Dr. Strangelove, pair it with Suspiria, and then pair it with King Kong, and you'll have the best day ever. And uh, so those are my recommendations. Mr. Kayla Lasser, what do you guys Oh, I- I'm sorry. I, w- I was almost remiss. A recommendation to play. Play any of the Metal Gear Solid games. Him and Kojima are actually really, really good buddies, and it's a tragedy they haven't made. But if you're talking about the military complex, totally good connection there. All right. Well, there you go. A video game recommendation from Caleb Masters. Okay, guys, we're coming out to the end of the show. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, we have an announcement uh, about next week's show, and I'm going to sling that over to Mr. Caleb Masters to announce what mi- what film we're watching next. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited and, and slightly depressed about what we're going to watch this next week. Now, this is one of our, Patreon, our patron picks uh, from uh, one patron, uh, Daniel Austin. Uh, who you can hear uh, Dalton interview on the People's History of Film if you have any interest in who this uh, young filmmaker is at all. And he's picking uh, a film 
uh, that might break my heart about five times over, but it's going to be so great, starring other than Joaquin Phoenix. That's right, guys. Next week, we're going to be doing a good old GTGC analysis on the film Her. We're only uh, we're watching this film because Daniel has been a generous contributor uh, to us on our Patreon, where you can, and if you want to learn how you two can pick a movie for us, head on over to patreon.com slash GTM. Thank you for that, Mr. Caleb Masters. Guys, what we want you to do more than anything is watch a movie and have a conversation because that's what makes the movies worth watching. That's what makes it all fun. Keep watching, keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit GoodTrashMedia.com. Uh, I, I had one final thought that I wanted to throw out there. Uh, fuck, Mary kill, uh, Idris Elba, Charlie Hunnam, and Charlie Day. What? Fuck, Mary kill, Idris Elba, Charlie Hunnam, Charlie Day. I'm not asking you to. Um, fuck Idris Elba. Um, mm-hmm. No, marry Idris Elba. Mm-hmm. That's better. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, fuck Charlie Day. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah, he's he's like my flavor in like being quirky, weird. Yeah. Um, and then what was uh, Charlie Hunnam? Char- yeah, he's he so fun- forgettable. He, we can he just kill, kill him. Charlie yeah, it's not, no big deal. <laughs> I know he's got a, a rabid fan base that gets real wet for him, but yeah, he does nothing. I, it's, he, it all goes back yeah. to zero. It, it yeah. yeah, I know Z- yeah. zero at all. I don't find him attractive. I, I yeah, I, I marry Charlie Day and uh, fuck Idris Elba all, all, all the well, live. Well, I'm assuming that I'll get some from Idris. yeah, you will all night long. Yeah, but I mean, it's just a lot. I know Charlie. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I, Char- I, I, Idris is too cool. I don't think like he's like a DJ. No, no, and, like, I, I, I don't just... think I can I can hang with him. But Charlie, Aww. like, he's kind of like a low key dude. I feel like I could hang with him. Yeah, like you could just sit on ne- like you can Netflix actually like Netflix, Netflix, and, Netflix and, chill. and chill without the sex. Yeah, yeah like yeah. on the couch in your boxers, whatever. Hundred yeah. percent, Caleb. I don't know what you're talking about. I just found out that Idris Elba is a rapper, uh, yeah. a DJ, and blew, it blew my mind a little bit. So therefore, it's super cool, right? Th- therefore, uh, yeah, you definitely you fuck Idris Elba. But Charlie Dazier is more stable. He's not going to have all those big, sexy, flashy roles like Idris Elba's going to yeah. have. So he's more reliable. I yeah, think sure. you you are judging him by his cover. I think he's a, he's going to be a tender and sweet lover. Oh, I'm he's sure he's going to be very tender. I think he would be very emotionally attentive. I just I don't think I think he's too cool. I don't think I could keep up with him. Arthur, thoughts? Time to move on. <laughs>